Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler from the state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, Steve Carter from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson from the state of of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful that you're tuning into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508 or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there are over 1,800 shows that are live currently at this very hour on Blog Talk Radio, and you will consistently find this show on the first few pages of that website. On tonight's broadcast, this show is on page number one of that website out of 1,800 shows. Thank you. Praise the Lord. If you have any questions or comments, any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B's Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, Get out your Bibles and study along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day. And placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion 
of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be with my co-hosts on the show this evening, Glenn McMillian and Robert Lee Johnson on the show as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman, he will be answering our questions as he answers the questions for those who are, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will bless our, their families that support their efforts that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners this evening who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul's salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you for sending your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful unto death, Father, we pray that you would save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for tuning into the broadcast this evening. Our You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Well, we seem to have had a delayed reaction here. But uh, we want to thank our listeners for tuning into the broadcast this evening. Our first segment, we will have our shouted out question. Uh, will be answered by our co-host, Brian Christian Coleman. He serves with the Newark Church of Christ there. In New Jersey, he'll be answering our shout-out question. And in the second segment, my co-host, Glenn McMillian, he serves with the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, he serves as the evangelist for the New Horizon Church of Christ there in Lake City, Florida. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have... A great show. After the break, the next one should be that of my co-host, Brian Christian Coleman, will be answering our shouted out question. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
discover love's on the line. Come on, it's in the line. Let us gather just for a crown of love's in the line. Come on, it's in the line. Send the light, oh, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from your soul. listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. This is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out. We want to pose this question to my co-host. We also want to encourage our listeners to join that group on Facebook and get involved in those biblical discussions. I had to uh, do my questions a little different this time since I'm no longer on Facebook, so I'm going to try to see if I can get this question after we pose it to my co-host to get bit, get posted there on that platform there on social media. Shout out, because this is a good question that our co-host Brian Christian Coleman will be answering for this segment. Brian, how are you doing this evening? I am well, my brother. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Now, here's the question that we want to consider for the show this evening. Now, what does it mean to be saved by God's grace? Is that something different from obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ? What say you to this question? Well, I'm glad this question is being asked because this is something that we should talk about so people can get a great understanding. It's so often that we are, there are subjects that we should discuss in our Bible studies and even in the pulpit that are not being mentioned like they really should be to give all of our members a clear precise understanding in regards to different matters of the Bible. One of the ones I've, I've mentioned a lot of times is more uh, lessons in reference to the Holy Ghost and what his purpose is. But tonight you're mentioning about grace, and this is a great question. Now, basically, to answer your question, I'm going to naturally go to the Bible to give you that answer. First of all, we have to understand that grace and, the, and obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ is one and the same. But also, it takes something to get to understanding and knowing the gospel of Christ. Now, first of all, to give you a definition of what grace is, grace is God's unmeriting favor. What that means is 
you don't deserve it, but God loves you and has mercy that he gives it to you. Do you understand that? God knows that we don't deserve certain things, but he still gives it to us. That's grace by him. Think of it this way. And the greatest example of love and grace, if you want to use that, for, use that term also, we find that in John 3.16, where the Bible teaches us that for God so loved the world. Now, remember, the world at this time is, is similar, but not as it is here today. Today it is horrible, but it was bad back then where man, basically God's people, God's chosen people, had turned their back on God. And basically the world was just in a bad situation. But God looked and said, I love the world so much, I'm going to give my son. That's love, brothers and sisters. That's love that nobody can top. That love is greater than any love where he gave, even though we didn't deserve it. God gave us his son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Grace is, is mentioned 160 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times. The first reference of grace is mentioned in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, and beginning with verse number 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, Noah was an upright person. See, it took some time for God to find, that's really, he knew where, where Noah was, but to get to Noah, meaning through all the generations that came after the flood from, um, the, if you remember, serves me, from Sham, he is from. He's from Shem, which was one of Noah's three sons. And Noah walked with God. The Bible doesn't say that God walked with Noah. The Bible says that Noah walked with God. And he found grace in him that he gave him the responsibility, gave him the mission to get all of the animals and preach for over 120 years. Can you imagine a man building a boat on land? And you know he must have got ridiculed, he must have got picked on, but every single time, every single day, what did Noah preach about? That it was going to rain. And finally, after all of that was done, once the ark was prepared, once all the animals were in, he told Noah, Noah's uh, wife, Noah's three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives to come into the ark. Now, we know that ark won't, wasn't going to sink because God was in the ark because God shut the door. So that's why that ark did not sink because God was within the ark. When your police officer pulls you over and is going to give you a ticket for you doing a wrong turn, missing a signal, whatever it may be, you've already gotten four tickets. And if you get one more ticket, they can suspend your license and have it revoked. Do you want the ticket that you know that you deserve, or do you want, which represents justice, or are you looking for some favor from the police officer? That's grace. God has given each and every one of us grace by, grace by the fact that we are able to move about. If by God's grace we wake up in the morning every single day. I mean, basically, he watches over us as we slumber and sleep. When we're at bed, when we're knocked out, don't know what's going on around us, God is providing his protection grace. He's watching over us and protecting us when we were nothing but youth all the way up to our present being as adults right now. He put food on our table. That's grace. 
He put clothes on our back. That's great. Someone may say, well, my daddy bought these clothes. But you got to look at the factor here. How did daddy buy the clothes? Because God blessed him with that job. Hello. And you know you got, you got your clothes by grace. You were able to eat some food by grace. It may have not been filet mignon. It may have not been steak. It may have been just some grits or some oatmeal. But God gave you grace to have something on your stomach. And then he provides you traveling grace and arrival mercy to your job. I mean, God is just showering us with grace. And the Bible says in Romans 5 and 8, but God commanded that his love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That lets us know even though he's providing his protection grace, we have to understand he loved the world so much, he gave himself for it because he was giving us grace even way back when we were in our sins. Say amen when you can, because all of us have an X behind our name. All of us was an X something. I'm not talking about X the letter. I'm talking about EX. We were all formerly something else. We were former drug addicts. We were former drug pushers. We were former drinkers. We were probably, we were womanizers. We are X something, but God blessed us to know and learn about the church of Christ. And we gave our hand to, to the master, to, to, to the preacher, and gave our heart to God. And we went down the liquid to a baptism for the remission of our sins. Remember, in Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto Peter, unto, uh, then repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now that you become a Christian, what are those gifts? Those gifts are those spiritual gifts that are in Christ Jesus. That includes grace and mercy. So you got some grace and mercy growing up, but now you can be showered a whole lot of mercy, a whole lot of grace, because grace is important for our daily life. And it's important for us to show grace toward others, those who mistreat us, show some grace. Instead of cursing them out, bless them out. Instead of wanting to call them anything but a child of God, show some compassion, show some love. That's grace. See, Jesus showed, was telling us a long time ago that we need to pray for those who despitefully use us. We need to show that we can love somebody even if they don't love us. And if folk mess us around, especially those who are members of the church, and they never come and ask, for a word of forgiveness, you still forgive them. That's grace because God forgave us from the cross when Jesus was on that cross. And he, and basically he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was love and forgiveness and grace to those who were crucifying our Lord and Savior. Now, if Christ can forgive from the cross, then why can't we forgive our brothers and sisters whom we see each and every day. That's why grace and mercy is so important. So grace is important in our everyday living. And so as we move forward into this program, let us take on some grace and share it with the world. And let folk know that we are members of the church, not because we say we're members, because I've asked this question in many Bible classes before. How many folk on your job know that you are a member of the Church of Christ not because you tell them that you're a member of the church, but because by the way you live. Do you show grace to your boss, even though they may be trying to try and get you removed? 
Do you show grace and mercy to those who talk about you behind your back? Do you show grace and mercy to your wife, to your husband, to your children each and every day? Brothers and sisters, it's time we start showing some grace and mercy to those who we come in contact with. I pray that the answer to this question has satisfied those who have asked, and I pray that we can take what we use tonight, Father, to tonight, through our Father who has sent his Son, and our other speakers, all the information that we learn tonight, and use it in our everyday living. May God bless you. May God keep you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co-host, Lynn McMillian, and his subject, the deity of Christ. Good evening, and welcome to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Uh, Once again, uh, my name is Glenn McMillan. I'm here to talk about some things that are very important to us as Christians. Um, This particular uh, discussion for tonight was prompted by a couple of things. Uh, Number one, uh, I was presented with some research by by a friend of the show, uh, Lori Wright, who who gave us some some, uh, new survey data from a a group called the the State of Theology. Uh, And there are some interesting findings on there. We'll get to that in a second. And and the other um, is some uh, interactions that I've had online with uh, in particular people. So let's let's set the stage here. Um, there is a troubling trend that's happening within churches. I, I've talked a lot of times about the uh, the rise of the nuns, the, the the fact that there are so many people who are leaving Christianity altogether, and what we can do. What what are some signs that we can look at? How do we address these things? And so uh, this research by this uh, state of theology organization uh, pointed to some of those signs that, that uh, could be things, key indicators for what's happening. And one of the things that uh, they pointed out is, has to do with the there's a degradation in the number of people who claim to be Christians but are still holding to what we would consider the core doctrines of Christianity. Um, and I won't get into to all of them because, you know, number one, what we consider core doctrines of Christianity and what this group considers core doctrines of Christianity tends to differ and so they, the way that they interpret some of the results is, um, is different from where, what, we, what we would expect. Um, but if there's one thing that we all as Christians would agree is a core doctrine of Christianity, it would be the divinity of Christ. If there's nothing else that you believe in, if you say that you're a Christian, that should be the number one thing. With one notable exception, and of course we, we all know the exception, that is the uh, particular do- denomination that calls itself the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and so in my travels uh, along the internet, um, I tend to run into a particular group that actually has a fairly uh, prominent member that has, that is a Jehovah's Witness. So I, I've seen a lot of his arguments and, and documentation come up on, on my feed recently. So that's where I started to kind of, kind of wanted to address it. Um, but, you know, 
it's kind of a softball. It's, it's, in fact, in the, you know, if we're talking about the, the Christian world, if we're talking about things that are important to Christians, uh, the fact that this very small denomination happens to not believe in the divinity of Christ uh, would seem to be a minor issue. Until, again, we go back to this research, and what we see is that even in the evangelical uh, Christian churches, which you know, most people would consider the most hardcore uh, Bible-believing Christians, that, um, to whatever extent you want to, to call that, or to recognize that, they, they are showing that in their research in 2022, nearly 40%, or actually over 40%, 42% of evangelical Christians no longer believe that in the divinity of Christ. They believe that Jesus was a, a great teacher, but not God. And that's up from about 30% just a few years ago in, in 2022, or in, in 2020. So something has happened. Something very significant has happened, and something very uh, rapid has happened in terms of uh, the understanding or the belief that Christ is God, Christ is divine within our churches. Um, and if there is any greater indicator, again, of, of somebody who's about to, to leave and walk out the door of your church, if they no longer believe that Christ is God, they're, they're already out the door. They just, they may not have left, um, but spiritually speaking, um, they're not a Christian anymore. They're not part of the group. And once they they realize that that means that they're no longer part of the group, uh, they're going to be out the door for real. And there's not going to be a way to get them back. So one of two things is happening. One is that the, the core doctrines are not being taught correctly, that the, the, there is a not a, an, an emphasis on teaching that Jesus is God, that Jesus is divine, um, and therefore it has been lost. That 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 message has not translated to uh, this generation, and 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 it is a generational thing. Again, when we talk about the nuns, when we talk about the people who are drifting in this way, we're generally talking about the younger crowd, people who are my age, I'm about 40 now and younger. Um, so it's total population, about 30% uh, of, of people, uh, of adults who claim no religion at this time. Um, but in our age cohort, 40, 40 and younger, it's probably closer to 50%. So, we're starting to see that uh, this dramatic drift away from core doctrines of Christianity, core doctrines of all religions, uh, and becoming this nebulous, uh, non-religious uh, entities um, is happening at the, the younger ages. And if, the, if, you're, if you're seeing this trend, it's probably because either, again, it's the doctrine is not being taught uh, is the primary uh, culprit in, in this in this 
situation, and 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 it makes sense, right? Because again, if you are a Christian, you believe that Jesus is divine. It is kind of a an axiomatic statement, uh, and so it, we don't feel like we need to spend a whole lot of time on things that are 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 given. We we just take it for granted um, that everybody kind of knows that. So we spend most of our time teaching other things. And we never get back to uh, these very core bread and butter type of, uh, of, of teachings. And, and then those things kind of get lost in the shuffle. So it's understandable that that could happen, but it's not excusable. That, that's not really an excuse. It's, a, it's just a, it's an explanation of what could be happening. Uh, but what should be happening is that we should be making sure that our, our congregations are very, very well-versed in those foundational teachings so that we don't have to worry about that. And then once we know that we're, we're solid on that, we can move on to uh, the meat, as, as the Hebrew writer would put it. So, we're, so tonight we're going to spend a lot of time paving that ground. We're going to give you some of, I mean, there, there's mountains of documentation here. Uh, the, the, the Bible is not short on uh, verses and examples, biblical examples of that, that prove that Christ is divinity, that, that Christ shares the divine name. Um, and honestly, I could be here all day if I were to go through them all. So I'm going to try to uh, just go through a few of them. Uh, I'm sure... Um, Stevie will, will cut me off if I'm going too long. Uh, I'll try to stick to um, one book. I'm just going to try to stick to the Gospel of John. Um, and then you know, we'll get through most, probably most of the verses that I have from the Gospel of John. Um, and then we'll be, we'll, we'll have more than established um, what the Bible teaches about uh, the divinity of divinity of Christ, um, and there, therefore, so if you're if you are having an issue, if you if you are, are unsure about this on yourself, or if you know somebody who's struggling with this, hopefully we'll give you enough information from the Bible to solidify that. And so, let's get into it. So why 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 John? Why am I picking this particular text in order to uh, to deal with this topic? And the reason is because the book of John is written specifically to establish the divinity of Christ. John is the last, probably either the last or the second to last book of the Bible that was written. Uh, if you read about the letters of John, um, John is already seeing this drift away from recognizing Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as divine. Happening. So, First John, he writes about this is the spirit of the Antichrist, those who will not stand up and say that Jesus is Lord, and you know, hitting this this proto Jehovah's Witness doctrine uh, all the way back in the first century, before there was even such a thing as a Jehovah's Witness, um, and you know, a person who do, will not say that Jesus is Lord, uh, and what he's he's, he's what he means there is not just that that's 
that sentence do? Well, lots of people can say you can say that sentence. You don't need to be quiet. But somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is divine, that he is come into come in the flesh, as he says later in the, in the text, um, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, and that is what, why he has the the title of Lord. If you don't believe that, then you're antichrist, and there is, you know, that's what the, what the antichrist means to him. That's how he defined it. He's the only person that uses it that term. So anybody who's talking about the antichrist is something else. No, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who will claim to be Christians, but will deny the divinity of Christ. So we know who we're talking about. But not just that particular denomination but also the people within your denomination who hold this view that, uh, well, Jesus is a good, a good teacher, but he really wasn't, you know, God, per se. Um, that, that idea, that, that mindset is the mindset of the Antichrist. It is Antichrist. And, again, the problem with that is that as we we're seeing is that it spreads and it spreads rapidly and it's going to corrode everything else you try to do because if you undercut the basic foundations, the basic axioms upon which your your faith is established, then everything else uh, falls apart under that. So how do we so so John realizes this, John John's seeing that this is happening. He writes the Gospel of John. And, we, and the Gospel of John is unique in its focus. He he's very upfront from the beginning saying that what we're going to do is we're going to establish that Jesus is God. And he's going to include stories that weren't included in the other three gospels in order to make this and bolster his case. So he's giving supplementary information, not that the other Gospels don't make the case. There's, there's the, the claim that's always the, the made by certain historians that the that Jesus wasn't God in the, in the Gospels. It wasn't until later that Jesus became God, and, and that's nonsense. We, could, we can prove that the other the synoptic Gospels make the case that Jesus is God, but that's, a, that's another lesson um, because, again, this lesson would be four hours long or more if I went through every single text uh, that made the case that Jesus was God. But we're going to leave the Synopsis Gospels um, out of it for today. We're just going to stick with the Gospel of John. And we're just going to walk through, and we're going to see all of the different verses that John uses uh, and all the different cases that he makes in order to show that Jesus is God. And again, we're going to run out of time, and I'm going to watch the clock as much as I can, but um, I want to be thorough and give you everything that you that you need and, and show you what John was trying to do in writing this book. So it starts at the beginning. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
it doesn't get any clearer than that. Again, John, from the beginning, from from word one, is telling you the purpose of this, why he wrote this book, to show that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And if you have any questions about whether that means Jesus, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So it's clear what John is saying here, who he's talking about, and making the case that Jesus is God. How could anybody miss that? What, what is the possible objection to this, this verse? Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to tell you that, well, it shouldn't really be translated the word was God. Was, was God. It should be translated the word was a God. Um, and the argument they're making here is that there's no definite, indefinite article between, or there's no definite article in front of that word God, uh, that, that second word God in, in verse 1. And therefore, uh, it doesn't have identifying power in that sentence. And therefore, it's a predicate, which means it's just talking about the nature uh, and not the person. Which, okay, is fine. Uh, number one, it doesn't change anything because when we're talking about God, when we say when we say that Jesus is God, we're not saying that Jesus is the same person as the Father. We're saying that Jesus shares the divine nature. With God, so right off the bat, there's really not a qualitative difference in the argument that we're making versus the argument that the Jehovah's Witnesses are trying to put us in. They're they're trying to uh, get us off of Jesus being the person of God or the person of the Father, more specifically. We're not making that argument. What we're saying is that Jesus has the divine nature. Jesus is. God in terms of his being. Uh, he, is not the, he is not the father, but he is divine. He is uh, the same essence as God. And th- so changing that, that wording there doesn't necessarily even affect that argument. But even if it did, even if it damaged it in some way, um, the problem with the way that the Jehovah's Witnesses are translating this verse is that they're not being consistent. So they're they're going to make the case that you know if you go down to verse 18, it says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, obviously the verb, the Bible that they use doesn't say that. <laughs> it, it it says something a little bit different there. But what is it going to say is what they're saying is that. Um, there is no one has ever seen God but the son who comes from the father has made him known so he's, they're saying that no one has seen the father the closest thing that we, we, we've been able to, to see is just the son the problem with, with that and, and using that verse specifically uh, as a counter argument is that where it says no one has ever seen God, it also lacks that definite article right there. So if they're being consistent, if they're going to say that the word was a God in verse 1, in verse 18 it should say no one should has ever seen a God. But they don't translate it that way because if they did, that would give away the game. 
So obviously they're already being uh, a little deceptive with the text. Um, but again, even if we accept their translation of, uh, of verse one, it doesn't change the argument. It doesn't really affect what we're trying to say here. Jesus still it has divine nature. Jesus is still God, a God or God. You, you know that makes a problem on them. If, if Jesus is a God, what kind of God is? Is he the same kind of God as God, or is he a different kind of God? And if he's not a true God, is he a false God, or is he a lesser God? Now they have a whole bunch of other questions that they have to answer that they wouldn't have to deal with if they just accepted that Jesus is God. So right off the bat, we're you know we we've already kind of established this. Uh, our, at least we see that John is making this case. Um, so let's go down to, to verse three. Um, so he was with God in the beginning, verse two, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So John is saying two things there. One, that Jesus was with God at the beginning. And two, that through him, that Jesus is the creator. Through him, nothing, without, without him, nothing was made that has been made. Again, it's very clear. If, if Jesus is was with God at the beginning. That means he is eternal. He was not created. He is the creator. And we see that this is uh, mirrored in Paul's writings in, in Second Corinthians, or sorry, in uh, Colossians chapter 2, where he says that, you know, without him, nothing was made that uh, that is made. So again, we have John and we have Paul both declaring that Jesus is the creator. He created everything. Nothing that has been created was not created by Christ. And, of course, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, are, when, when, if you look at their Bible in, in uh, Colossians chapter 2, it'll, it'll say no other thing. <laughs> but but there's, no, there's nothing in the Greek text to... Uh, suggest that this other should be there in, in, in verse 3 here in John or in, uh, in Colossians. That, that other is just there because of their preconceived doctrine. They're not allowing the text to tell them who the creator is and how things were created. They are reading into it based on their, their beliefs, their presuppositions, that Jesus was created. So again, that's part of their doctrine is that Jesus is a, is a creator being. He's not the creator. Um, he may have created everything else, which is kind of their, their dodge, uh, but he's still a creature. He's still something that was created by the Father. But both here in John, uh, in First in John 3 and in, in, uh, in uh, Colossians, it is very clear that all things were created by him. All things exist because of him. And so that, if you, if you read the text and it says all, that means that he is not something that was created because if all the things that were created were created by him, he is not one of those created things. So, again, we have a very clear 
very uh, uncontroversial uh, statement that, that that is being made here. But even if you want to get into this and say, okay, but does that prove that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is uh, shares the divine name? How do we know uh, based on this? So let's cross-reference this, this text with a, another text that coincidentally the Jehovah's Witnesses love this text, but they miss the force of it. Go to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. It says, you are my witnesses, declares Jehovah. And I'm going to use Jehovah here because that, that's their, their term. They, they love to uh, cling to that, that term, uh, Jehovah. Says you are my witnesses. This is incidentally the verse where the Jehovah's Witnesses get their name. They are named after this this text. You are my witnesses, declares Jehovah, and my servant, whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me, no God was formed, and there will be no one after me. So, we have a problem. Or at least, no, we don't have a problem. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a problem. Because Jehovah says there's no other God. But John is saying that Jesus is a God. Even if we accept their uh, interpretation. That it's in their, their language. So if Jesus is a God, but there's no other God but Jehovah, then, logical conclusion, Jesus must be God. No, 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 they, they can't accept that. You can't really do that. What about this whole thing, uh, this creator thing? Uh, let me uh, find, uh, so verse, uh, sorry, chapter 44 Sorry, I mis, uh, misplaced a lot of some of my, my text because, again, there's a lot of cross-references and a lot of scriptures there, so, so bear with me. But uh, in chapter 44, we, we see that there, there is, uh, where Jehovah says that there is, I, when I stretched out the, the heavens, who was with me? When I created all of these things, who was there? Uh, well, John says that Jesus was with him. So, if if the Father is speaking in that text, if the Father, if Jehovah is exclusively exclusive to the Father, John says that Jesus was with him at the beginning. Jesus was with him when all of these things were created. But Jehovah says that no one was with him. So, again, either John is inserting Jesus where he doesn't belong, or Jesus is that Jehovah. That there is nobody. Or if, if we say that Jehovah is the collective, then outside of that collective, then we can say, "Who was with me? No one was with me," because that word Jehovah encompasses both the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But again, that's a whole other. When we talk about the Trinity and the, and the, the Godhead, that's a, another lesson for another time. But all what we have established is that 
when we say that we're talking about this creator, if Isaiah is to be believed and John is to be believed, and, and they both are to be believed, the only way to resolve them is that the, the, the divine name, that Jehovah, the Yahweh, whatever you're going to, whichever way you want to, to pronounce that, uh, it, it encompasses uh, Jesus Christ. So we haven't even gotten three verses into the text, and we've already made a very solid case for the divinity of Christ. Um, how much time do I got? We're at 28 minutes. All right, we're we're not going to get through this, but let's keep moving. Um, so the next text that we should make a note of is go to John chapter two, verse 19. This is a fun text. If you are, ever have a discussion with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and, and and this is not to bash on them, um, you know they're they're nice people. They, um, you know, there's a lot of admirable things that they do. The, the the way that they are able to mobilize people and get them involved in evangelism is something that is to be admired. the The problem is that their doctrine is just wrong. And uh, the more we understand it, the more we understand how wrong their doctrine is, you know, we should be motivated to not only engage them in conversations when they show up at the door, but also go out and, and correct <laughs> the misinformation that they're putting out there because, uh, you know, people are being taken in by it. It's not a very large denomination, but it exists, and they are very good getting out and spreading the, their doctrine. So uh, when we get to uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, uh, you know, let's, let's go back, back up a little bit. So uh, verse 17, it says, his disciples were neighbors, what was in the deal for your house was continued. The Jews responded to them, what sign can you show us that you have the authority to do all of these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to raise it in three days? But the temple he's spoken of was his body. And after he rose from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus claims that he will, if, if the temple is destroyed, he can, he can raise it again in three days. What, what is the, the issue? The issue here is that, you know, again, if you're talking to, a Jehovah's Witness, someone who denies the divinity of Christ, they're going to say, well, a dead man can't raise himself. So they're, they're always going to be very well harp on, you know, God is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, Jesus couldn't have raised himself from the dead. He was dead. So he couldn't, and, and God can't die. So the power to raise him from the dead had to come from somewhere else. And he was raised by that power. So it was just, so Jesus could not be God. But listen to what Jesus is saying here very carefully. He says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And they said, you, it has taken 46 years, and you're, you're going to raise it up in three days? And he said, and the temple he's talking about is the temple of his body. So he's so literally saying, destroy this body, kill me, and I will raise myself up in three days. And that's exactly what happened. So 
so the power of God did raise Christ from the dead, but it was his own power. He said he did it himself. And he said, and he told them that he was going to do it himself. John is not including this here by accident. It, this, this is very, very intentionally put there and very, very intentionally, intentionally phrased to show that the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is power that he possessed himself because, logical conclusion, he was God. He's divine. He shares the divine nature. All right, let's move on. Chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verse number 18. It says, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, so let's set the table for back up for what, what's going on here. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, which gets the, the Jewish leaders all upset. So they come and they try to make this case, you know, the, starting with verse 16. So because Jesus was doing this thing on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said, my father is always working. He's at work to this very day, and I too am working. So for this reason, they tried to kill him. So he broke the Sabbath, and he healed somebody on the Sabbath. He, he told this man to, to pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath, which, you know, you're not supposed to be carrying any kind of, uh, kind of load. Uh, so he commanded somebody else to, to carry a load on the Sabbath. And uh, so, so he's telling people to violate the Sabbath. He's breaking the Sabbath himself by doing this work. And then... He's calling God his father, making himself equal with God. So now, obviously, the, the, the counter to this, or, or, or the, the, the argument that people who don't believe that Jesus is God are going to make is that, well, this was just the misunderstanding that they had. They, they misunderstood what Jesus was doing, that he, Jesus didn't actually command these people to break any laws. Uh, they were breaking, you know, pharisaical uh, codes or whatever, but they didn't actually break the law. Um, and because they were misunderstand, they had a misunderstanding about the law. Um, they were also misunderstanding what Jesus was saying about God being His Father, and therefore, you know this idea of Jesus making himself God wasn't really what Jesus was saying. It's just their perception uh, of what was going on. Yeah, but that's not even close to the truth. So the, the breaking of the law uh, is, again, the, the not being able to carry a load and all that kind of stuff is a direct violation of Jeremiah 17, 20, 20, 21, and 22, and Nehemiah. Uh, 13, 15, 22. I'm not going to get into a, to those verses, but carrying some kind of load like that on the Sabbath was a, a violation of the law and was recognized in the Old Testament outside of pharisaical codes or whatever, just in the text, 
as something that was against the law, point blank, period. But Jesus, as we see elsewhere in Scripture, uh, when the, the uh, Pharisees make this case, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. So, again, though that's, a, that's a sex that comes out of the Synoptic Gospels. So when, when we say that Jesus never called himself God in the Synoptic Gospels, we he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. What, what else do you <laughs> – who else could be the Lord of the Sabbath other than God? Um, so that's not even a true claim. But if, if Jesus recognized himself as the, the Lord of the Sabbath and he's making this case uh, that what he is doing is not a violation of Scripture, not because – He's not doing something that the scriptures technically says not to do, but because he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's calling God his father, and he's making himself equal with God. Note that in the text, it's not the Pharisees saying he's making himself equal with God. This is John's narrative text here. They are trying to kill him because he called him, he was breaking the Sabbath and calling himself calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That, that's John's narrative of what's happening. It's not, you know, inserted dialogue from the Pharisees or, or uh, some kind of misconception. If, if, if it was a misconception, John would clear it up here and say, this is what they perceived, but that's not what, what was actually happening. No, John is flat out telling us they were upset because Jesus was the Sabbath and he called God his father. And because he called God his father, he was making himself equal with God. That was the intent of the state. Very clearly, very plainly, uh, very hard to argue with unless you're intentionally trying to miss it. Um, how much time? Where are we at? 38 minutes. All right. I, I have time for one more, and it's going to be the one that you were probably waiting for when, this, uh, when we started this, and that's John chapter 8. Um, I think we're all familiar with John chapter 8, where Jesus says in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he continues his narrative until we get to uh, John 8, 58, where he says, uh, I tell you, tell you the truth, you know, before Abraham was, was born, I am. So this is just a, a, a long line. If we, if we go back uh, all of John and we look for these I am statements, the, he's been slipping this in in various places throughout the text, but in most places it doesn't really stand out because, you know, again, I am is a very – common phrase, You're, and if it's grammatically correct, if it gra grammatically flows in the sentence, it's not something that you're going to necessarily notice. It's not going to strike, strike you as being odd. But in some places where Jesus uses it, it's a little out of character. It, it, it doesn't really sound like it should fit. And in most cases when that happens, um, even in the book of John, the translators kind of help Jesus out by kind of clearing up the language. But 
doing that is actually doing a disservice to what Jesus is doing. Jesus is very intentionally using these I am statements in order to jog the memory. And, and the one place where it is incontrovertible, where it, it cannot be missed, is John 8, 58. Uh, he's, he's, again, if we go through the text of John 8, starting at verse 24, he says, uh, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. But if you notice in your text, if you have a good translation, that he should be in italics or underlined or, or somehow noted, that that's not actually part of the sentence. That was in, that's inserted by translators to kind of make the sentence flow because grammatically it really makes sense because that I am statement shouldn't fit there. But it says, but Jesus really says, if you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sin. I am what? I, who are you? That's why they ask, who are you? What do, what do you mean by this I am? And that's why he, he continues his discussion and goes all the way down to, to verse 58 says, you know, you're not yet 50 years old in verse 57, and you say you've seen Abraham. And Jesus says, very, very, I say to you, before Abraham was, was born, I am. Here, tense doesn't flow, grammatically doesn't flow. He's very purposely using I am instead of I was or I have been, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible says, that you should translate this I have been. But, again, if you translate that, I have been, you have to go back and tra translate all of the other I am phrases as I have been, and, and that does not work anywhere. <laughs> and so the only place that they do that is here because the force of this statement is impossible to miss. And it was impossible for them to miss because the very next verse in verse 59, they picked up stones to stone. They did not miss it. Nobody missed it. Jesus claims to be I am. The I am, if you are familiar at all with the Old Testament, uh, Exodus, that is the, the first name that was given to Abraham or, or to, to Moses to tell the, the people of Israel, this is who God is. This is what the name of your God is. It is I am that I am. That I am goes throughout all of scripture after that as being the divine name. And Jesus, in this text, is very clearly claiming the, the divine name. Impossible to miss. They did not miss it. They did not miss the force of that text. Nobody who heard this missed the force of that text. The only way you can miss the force of this text is if you're trying to miss it. Um, and if, you, if you're you know, actively rejecting uh, the deity of Christ, or at least his claim to deity. So, again, uh, we are at 43 minutes, so my time is pretty much up. Um, and I'm only halfway through the book of John, and that's just one book. <laughs> so, again, we can see that this, this claim of Jesus, is, Jesus being divine, this Jesus claims through divinity, um, the biblical understanding of Jesus as being, uh, being God, sharing the divine nature, having a, a claim to the divine name um, is elementary to who Jesus is, to what the Bible is saying, and everything that we understand about Christianity. So 
the only way that people can miss this is if it's not being taught, because, and it's not being taught because we're assuming that people get this and people understand this. That um, again, it's it's so hard to miss that we just kind of assume that everybody gets it, and, and in some cases, not everybody is getting it. That we're, we're if, if we don't make sure that we cross the dot the I's and cross the T's, somebody's going to get left, and then that's going to be a problem uh, for that person and then for whoever can be influenced by that person. So that's the one explanation for this. The other explanation is that people are getting outside influences that are causing them to reject the claims. They understand what the Bible is claiming, but for some reason they're not accepting it. They're, they're, they're allowing it to roll off their backs, as it were, and making up their own mind about um, who Jesus really is based on some other information. So next time, if the Lord says the same, we'll, we'll start to address some of that um, because that's a different problem. I can just put out all the pretexts in the world. I've, you know, I've given you some of the book of John. Uh, I could go do all the ones in the book of John. I could give you all the ones throughout all the text, all the texts of the scripture. Um, again, which is going to be a mountain of things that is way too too long to get through in in one sitting. Um, but it doesn't make a difference if the, if you're not accepting the Bible as your final authority. If you're accepting somebody else's word or somebody else's take on it. Um, as being uh, authoritative or as being influential, uh, then you're going to miss it because those two ideas are not going to be allowed to coexist in your head. So that's where we are. If, if your problem was accepting the deity of God, is that, of, of Christ, is that you didn't see it in Scripture, I hope now that you can see it in the Scripture, that, that just in this one half, well, not even half of it, we're only eight chapters into a 21 chapter book, so we're about, you know, almost halfway through um, the book of John, and we see multitude of, of claims, a multitude of, of ways to prove uh, that Jesus was divine, that he was the creator, he, that he shares the divine name. Um, and if you, if that was the problem, if that's how why you weren't saying it, I hope you see it now. If there's another reason why you're not saying it, then I hope you'll join us next time, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to share something with you then uh, that will help you see what we what we're, we're saying and what we're saying and what what Christianity is based on. That Christ is not just some guy that has some some nice things to say. And, you know, we all kind of think they're cool, so we, we kind of go along with it. No. Jesus is God, and because he's God, you know, we believe and we follow and we do what he says because he, it's the force of God. It's the, the word of God, and, and it's the only way uh, that we can ultimately reach salvation. So the lesson is yours, and keep listening to 
the Dr. Light radio show. Give me a song to sing like Jesus.
so I need my Give me the Help me know the right word To say to the enemy Help me to shame love in the middle, in the middle of the night. Lord, I need a song like Jesus. In the middle, in the middle of the night. When I'm in the middle. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co-host, Robert Lee Johnson, and his subject, I'm Not Ashamed of the Gospel. Thank you, Stevie. I want to thank God for this another opportunity. Uh, to be here and just to have this opportunity uh, to preach the Word of God. It's it's always a blessing uh, to be able to come on and and share God's book with with people. And I feel very excited to be able to to do that. I want to thank Glenn for his blessing, for his effort. Uh, in sharing the Holy Word, and I appreciate the question uh, by our good brother from uh, New Jersey. Uh, Everything that men do for the glory and honor of God, I think that we should recognize that and be thankful. I appreciate Stevie um, for the opportunity to um, have this program and to continue uh, in this program um, uh, to be able to see the good uh, in it and to um, just um, keep it going. So, Stevie, we appreciate you so much. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, uh, I appreciate those who are watching us through um, Facebook. I appreciate the radio uh, outlet that we're able to use today uh, to get out the word. Of God, my subject is: I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul made this statement in Romans chapter one, verses fourteen uh, through seventeen. The Bible says, "I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is." He says that I am ready to preach the gospel to you uh, that are at Rome also. 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, uh, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also uh, to the Greek. And then in verse 17, the Bible says, For therein, that is, within the context of the gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live uh, by faith. And so I'm thankful to Almighty God to be able to come on and just say uh, some words regarding this particular uh, uh, subject. I am not ashamed of the gospel. One of these things that I believe, I said I believe it. Now, you may not believe it, but one of the things that I believe uh, that has happened to the people of God uh, of late and for some years is that we have backed ourselves in a corner and we have closed our uh, we've closed off our voices and 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 we don't want to offend anybody we don't care how people offend God or how people offend Jesus or how they offend his gospel, but we don't want to offend anyone. And I just think that's silly. I'm sorry. I think that's silly for people to say, I don't want to offend anybody. Jesus said that you must choose to walk with me. And if you are ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Paul was saying, I am not embarrassed by Christ. I'm not embarrassed by the word of God. I'm not embarrassed by the strictures of the gospel because there are some things in the gospel that uh, causes people to uh, really call, uh, recall uh, away from Christ. Because they don't want to hear those things. And 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 then so many apologize for the Bible and the word. I don't apologize for the gospel. Listen, I didn't write it. You didn't write it. It doesn't belong to you and it doesn't belong uh to me. It belongs to God and God has the right uh to uh uh, put his word out there, and he's put it out there. So I'm not going to be an apologist for Satan, uh, but I will stand for the word of God. And so Paul began his grand epistle to the Romans who wrote of his desire to see them. He said, I want to see you. Let me tell you something. Christianity is about people. If you don't love people, you can't be a Christian. If, if, if you're not willing to work with people, you can't be a servant of Christ. If you're not willing to uh, give your all to the Lord, if, you, you know, you have to, you, you can't, one cannot be selfish when it comes to serving God uh, because God does not want us that way. In Romans chapter 1, 8 through 10, we find that Paul prayed diligently uh, 
because he wanted to see the people of God. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, uh, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. They must have been doing something right because the world knew about their faith in Jesus. But God is my witness whom I serve. Uh, the Bible says, with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He wanted to see them. When we don't have a desire to be around people, when we don't want to greet brethren and, and our sisters in Christ, uh, that's a good indication that there's something wrong with our Christianity. Uh, because Jesus uh, was uh, happy and joyful uh, to meet people. And so, so were the apostles, and especially the apostle Paul. Paul had a desire to encourage the Christians through mutual edification. It's not just what he was going to give them. It's what they were going to give back to him. It's what he would receive from them by doing service to them. It's amazing the joy that you get from being a Christian. Well, you can go to see a person who is sick, somebody that's laid up, someone that's hurt, someone that's been stifled by life, someone that's injured, someone that's, that's um, um, incapacitated, and you go there, and you think you're going to help them. But you will find that you will be filled with joy as a result of your attempt to help them. And so Paul said to the Romans, yes, I want to see you. He said, but it's going to be a mutual enjoyment, a mutual effort, because I will also receive something uh, from you. And that's what the church is all about. It's about building one another up in the most holy faith. And then the Bible says, in Romans 1, 11, and 12, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Uh, to the end, you may be established. That is, that I may be confident together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That's what Paul had in his mind. It's a sharing. Uh, it's a caring. It's a recognition that God is for us all. And so his plans to come that he might have some fruit among them. He wanted some fruit among the church in Rome. And so the Bible says in Romans 1 and verse number 13, Now I will not have you ignorant brethren. <laughs> you know, people need to read the Bible. Some people fuss about going to Bible class. 
Well, I don't have time to go to Bible class, and I don't see the need of going to Bible class. Paul said, I will not have you ignorant, brethren. You better get out of that house. You better get out of that car and go and serve the Lord. I will not have you ignorant, brethren. There are things that many in the church don't know that they should know, that they could know if they would spend some time in their Bibles and uh, in Bible classes, in Sunday morning worship. I try to go to all of the Bible classes. I go to Sunday morning, I go to Wednesday night, and I never get tired of going to Bible class. I love it because it is a spiritual in, in enjoyment given to us by God. See, when your life changes, everything must change uh, in order for you to receive benefit from Christ. And that's why the Bible says that we are a new creature. I'm not the old man anymore. I'm the new man. And so I'm seeking that new life uh, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul said, I want to have some fruit among you. And so when we uh, engage in our relationship one with another, we have a hand in helping people to grow in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we may see one another years later, and that fruit that uh, begun at some point uh, in younger years will still be in that individual. I'm here to tell you today, that's a wonderful thing. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 13, Paul said, Now I will not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, even also uh, as among other Gentiles. You know, we get all caught up in race, nationality, black and white, red, yellow, and things of that nature and kind. But God is a God who is colorless. I didn't say man was colorless because man is not. Man sees everything and make many of his decisions based upon the color of a person's skin. But when you become a Christian, you don't look at a person's flesh anymore because you are a child of God. And so Paul said, I have a desire to come and see you, and uh, I want to be a servant uh, to you. He so says in Romans 1 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Listen now, church. The Bible says, separated unto the gospel of God. See, if you remain the same, it's because you do not separate yourself from the world. It's because you are still living the same old uh, worldly life that you lived before Christ. And that's why people don't enjoy their Christianity, because they, they will not change. They're still doing some of the same things that they were doing when they were out there in the world. But God wants to change us. God wants us devoted to him. God wants us to come alive. 
and be different from uh, the world. So let Jesus dwell in your heart. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse number 3 concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according uh, to the flesh. And so if you got Jesus in you, uh, then you're going to be different from the world. When Paul was in the world, he was trying to kill the Christians. But when Paul became a Christian, excuse me, and recognized uh, the call of God on his life, Paul no longer wanted to kill people. Paul wanted to love people, and he prayed for people, and he wanted people to do uh, their best. And so here we, we have in Romans 1, 3, that this gospel is according to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And uh, you need to understand that the gospel is not about you. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about spreading his word and talking about him and sharing uh, this good news uh, as long as we are alive. And so the Bible says in Romans 1.16, listen to him now. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God loves everybody. God loves us all. And anytime people try to limit our love uh, to one nationality, to one race of people, you can put that down that that, that has nothing to do with God. Paul said, I love the Jews, and sometimes they got on his nerves. Paul said, I love the Gentiles, and sometimes they got on his nerves. But he loved them still. And so when you become a Christian, it's about not being ashamed of Jesus and about sharing the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My question to you today, friends, are we ever ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Uh, that term, ashamed, means embarrassed. Paul said, I'm not embarrassed about Christ. I'm not embarrassed about his kingdom. I'm not embarrassed about his worship service. I'm not embarrassed about the strictures of the gospel. I'm not embarrassed about the law of God. Paul said, I'm not embarrassed about Jesus at all. Now, I want to ask you a question now. This may be a reason, or could this be a reason why so many people today are no longer active in personal evangelism uh, because they are ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust, friends, that we're not ashamed of our Lord. And so let us look now at how and why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. 
we need to be more diligent in our efforts to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, in the world that we live in today, you really have to try to be um, full of ingenuity in sharing the good word. I went to Wendy's Saturday, and I got me a salad, and um, that was a young black man working there in the window, and I wanted to commend him for the fact that he had a job, and he was doing well, and he was earning his money honestly. And uh, I took out one of my cards, and I gave it to him, and I said, when you're off one Sunday, I said, come over and see us at this place. You know, you have to try to fit in with this world today as often as you can. And we have to be smart, and we have to try to be creative in our outreach on people today. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and neither should you be ashamed of the gospel. Now, let us know how he was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul felt obligated to preach the gospel to everyone. He wanted to tell everybody about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted people to know. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 14, look at uh, that verse, friend. Paul said, I am debtor both to the Greeks, talk Paul, and to the barbarians. Listen to him now. He said, I am in debt, not just to my people, but Paul said, I am in debt to all people. To the Jews, I owe a debt. He said, I got to preach to them. To the Gentiles, he said, I owe a debt. I got to preach to them. And so his obligation was due partly to the fact that God had favored him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, the Bible says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's what he did. Paul did not believe in the religion of Christ. Initially, he tried to stamp it out. He tried to persecute every last one of them because he thought what they were doing was wrong. But know what the Bible says. He said, I persecuted the church of God, and he did. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 10, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Look ahead. He said, but I labored more abundantly than they all. 
Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You know, we're going to have to give an account of ourselves one day to God. God has done so much for us. What are we doing for God? Paul said, God gave me a chance. God delivered me. God saved my soul. And that's why Paul worked so diligently uh, in trying to help others to be saved. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. The Bible says that I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me for that he carried me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Listen now, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious and then Paul said, but I obtained mercy. Why, Paul? He says, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. God gave him a second chance. God saved his soul. He had done so much evil and wrong, and yet God saved his soul. Stop worrying about what you've done and how you have lived. We have all been scoundrels, and we've been low down. We've done things that we should not have done. That's why we need a Savior. And Paul came to Jesus. And Jesus saved him. And Paul wanted to repay Christ as much as he could by trying to reach out and touch everybody that he came in contact with. When was the last time you talked to anybody about the gospel? When was the last time you tried to bring somebody to Christ? There are some people in the Church of Christ they think the preacher got all of the responsibility. Well, the church is not growing. Yeah. Well, what are you doing to help it to grow? When was the last time you brought one soul to the worship service, to the Bible class, or anywhere else near the church building? The preacher can't do all that work by himself. The whole church needs to be working to save people. And so Paul's message was, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Paul was not ashamed. He was not ashamed to be a member of the church of Christ. He was not ashamed of the doctrine of Christ. He was not ashamed of the way of God. He was not ashamed of those things. Some people are ashamed to even tell people that they are a member of the Church of Christ. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'd be glad when they ask me, uh, Mr. Johnson, what church are you a member of? I say very proudly, I'm a member of the Church of Christ. Right out there on Highway 441 in Lake City, Florida. 
Not ashamed of that. Now, let me tell you why Paul was not ashamed. Here it is. Number one, he was not ashamed because it was the power of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, there's one gospel, for it is the power of God under salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I have preachers sometimes that get so angry with me because I preach the word of God. And I know why they're angry with me. They're angry with me because they know they are not doing it. And they ought to be doing it, but they are embarrassed to do it. So they want to challenge me. You challenge me all you want to. All I'm going to do is preach the gospel. This gospel tells us of Jesus Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Man, if you want to be saved, you got to obey this gospel. You got to obey the gospel of God. You got to become a member of the church that you read about in the Bible. It's very plain in the Bible. For in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it reveals the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17. People Today are stumbling and walking around talking about, well, I don't know what to do to be saved. But because the church is not telling people what they need to do to be saved. The work of the church, the ministry of the church is to tell men and women what they need to do to be saved. Paul said in the gospel, God tells us how we ought to get right with him. The righteousness of God from faith to faith. Yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. God is the justifier of those who will come to him and live their lives for him. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. Why, Brother Johnson? Because the gospel is the same. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall what? Shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. The word of God is going to remain the same. And the word of God is that uh, word which produces faith in the heart of men. In Romans 10, 17, the Bible says, so then faith. Cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You got to hear God's word if you want to be saved. Colossians 1, 5, and 6 tells us that the gospel bears uh, fruit in the lives of the people of God. Paul said, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word 
of the truth of the gospel. Now, you want to know what's true? The gospel is. We got members in the church today, they fight the preacher harder than they fight sinners. Better stop fighting the preacher and get out there and fight those sinners and try to tell the sinners what to do in order to be saved, which has come unto you, the gospel, as it is in all the world. And bring it forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. That's what it takes to save a man today. It takes the grace of God in truth. And so the gospel still reveals God's righteousness in salvation. God didn't take the gospel away. Man just stopped preaching it. Man stopped believing it. Man stopped living it. Man stopped obeying it. The gospel is still here. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, the holy word of God. And verse number 15, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, listen to Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you. Listen to him now. Which also you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also you have saved. What saves us? The gospel. He said, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, listen to him now, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that it was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scripture, death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel message is all about. You better stop joking. On Sunday morning and Sunday night, better preach the gospel. That's what saves men, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, if you want to know how to get rid of your sin, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel Know surely that God has made that same Jesus, not another Jesus, but the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. Listen to him now. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, listen. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what Peter said on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You said, well, Brother Johnson, what do you tell people? To do today, I tell them the same thing that Peter told them because Peter's uh, 
question or answer was given by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that's going to save people. They have to get an answer that's given by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 22 and verse number 16, Paul was trying to be saved. And so Ananias was preaching to him and told him, and now, why tarriest thou? Listen to him now. He said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. We got ministers in the church of Christ that will not even preach the plan of salvation. Ministers in the church of Christ. They act more like Baptist preachers than they do ministers of Christ. And if that's what you're acting like, then maybe that's what you are. And some are even saying now that you don't have to be baptized to be saved. That's nothing unique. Billy Graham taught that a long time ago. So you're not teaching a unique message. You're teaching the message of Satan. Because the message of God is you got to be baptized. And I don't care who tells you that you don't have to be baptized. Man, you got to be baptized to be saved. My, I got, my time is gone. I know Stevie got to close out the program. It's 7.56. So let me go on and get off. Thank you for listening. I love you so much. I thank you for listening to the word of God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Live your life for the Lord. Be dedicated to him. If you're not a Christian, find a faith of church of Christ that teaches the sound gospel of Jesus and get baptized by the remission of your sin, and be faithful and loyal to God throughout the world, throughout your last days on this earth. Be faithful to God. Worship and serve him and do the right thing, and God will take you home and save you one day. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Stevie, for allowing me to preach the word of God today. I love all of you. May God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When God says no, and we won't listen to the end, just remember, don't forget, Father knows what's best. I remember, God, I know, know what's there, yeah, yeah, my God, he knows what's there, late in the midnight hour, I was crying, and all alone, waiting for an answer, my hope's gone. I even called on my best friend, and she could not be found. Lord, you said you'll never leave me nor forsake me. 
Radio show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Our time is going. I want to thank our thank our listeners for tuning into this radio broadcast this evening. We certainly appreciate those who've been following our radio show on Blog Talk Radio as well as on social media, Facebook Live. I want to thank all of my co-hosts who participated in the show tonight. Great job by Brian Christian Coleman from answering our shout out question regarding the subject of grace, and he did a great job answering that question. Also, my co-host Glenn McMillian, the deity of Christ, and also my co-host Robert Lee 
Johnson, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're here to preach the gospel. That's what we're here to do. And my co-hosts always do a great job in doing that very thing. We certainly appreciate their efforts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just so thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast. It is our prayer that the lessons that were given on this show tonight have been beneficial to your spiritual lives. Your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because you're not only tuning in this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler. I want to say on behalf of all of our co-hosts on the Gospel Light Radio Show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. God bless you. Good night, everybody. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Will you forgive me? For I've done wrong. And will you accept me, Jesus? As I kneel at your throne, dear Lord, and all of my brothers, he will always criticize and accuse, yes he will, but I know that my Jesus, he will make me brand I'm ready at oh, my bidding, Lord. Lord, hear my prayer, please use me. Cause you're a God of a second chance. Yeah, yeah. I see them cry. And they each have a stone. But you knelt beside me, Jesus, and my fears are all gone, praise God, cause you give me peace,
more shame, no more doubt, no more guilt, Lord. So I ask you, Lord, to you. Thank you. 